Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist and self-growth coach for women in helping professions. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology and self-growth. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. So let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to Psych Talk. I'm so excited that you all are here and I am super, super excited because I have my first guest ever um, and my friend Meg. So hi Meg, thank you for joining me. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good, how are you? Hanging in there. (laughs) Hanging in there in quarantine, in quarantine. Snowing in New England, so. It's snowing? Yeah. Oh my goodness, so. Um, I'm in South Carolina, and uh, Meg, are you currently in Massachusetts? I'm yeah. In Massachusetts. So, um, so Meg, do you want to just kind of introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, as much of your story as you want to share? Sure. The floor is for you. All right. So, my name is Megan Beauclair. Um, a lot of people do call me Meg, so that works too. Um, I'm an emotional eating mentor and specialist for female perfectionists. And in my work, I really work to empower women to understand their feelings and become a confident eater. And a lot of this kind of tails back to the relationship with your body. Um, So my relationship with with food and body has shifted so many times over the course of my life. So some of like the biggest moments in my life that I really remember clearly are throughout high school. And I spent the mass majority of my high school career really dealing with things like depression and anxiety, body dysmorphia, um, and undiagnosed eating disorders that were not actually brought to life until college. So my second year in college was when things in my personal life with my family really kind of hit the fan and everything was really chaotic. So finally I kind of stepped out, started talking to my doctors and they really told me like, you need to go and see somebody that can actually help you with these things. So in the process of doing that, I was finally given an answer of you do struggle with depression, you do struggle with anxiety, you have anorexia. And I kind of was just given that and I had to take it and run with it. So it really ended up becoming just (laughs) a massive mess to handle in college. And through the course of it, I figured it out. I got prescribed antidepressants and the I guess the healing of the eating disorder ended up successful except it kind of threw me to the other side of things where instead of being in the world of anorexia and restriction it was more restriction and then binge eating 
so I went to that side of things and then really kind of found that medium ground where I was just emotionally eating all the time. So that kind of became my stable ground where I had a mix of both things going on. And I was so aware of the eating disorders that it just became really just disordered eating and emotional eating. So that's kind of where it kind of brought me to where I am today. Um, since then, I actually know how to handle my feelings and I still struggle with food and my body, but there's so much more of a heightened awareness in my life since going through that, you know, crazy life cycle from high school up until now. So that's over the course of, oh my God, I don't know, 2010, almost 10 years. So yeah, that's where I am today. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for sharing your story. And I know that there are probably a lot of people listening that can relate to all of it, some of it. I mean, you kind of just explained the whole spectrum of eating disorders, disordered eating, plus depression and everything. So one thing that you kept um, bringing up just in your story, but also just with what you do now is emotional eating. So how would you define emotional eating? Yeah, so emotional eating is a really is really a learned behavior that we often develop in early stages of our life or childhood and we use as a means to feel safe and protected and it's really just a coping me mechanism that we use um, because food really is that safe space it's something that we literally do from the second we come out of the womb after screaming we eat <laughs> and you know it's like one of those things that we just do it and it's calming and it's really easy for people to just use as yeah a way to feel safe so that's kind of where I stand on like what it is that that was um really helpful and I like how you said it's a learned behavior in childhood because a lot of times I'll talk about how like our beliefs whether it's about food, about money, about ourselves develop in childhood. And I think a lot of times we don't realize how much children are picking up and also how much our childhood patterns manifest in adulthood. It's terrifying, especially just as from my own experience, I have a nephew that I live with and he just turned 10. So I've watched him grow this whole entire, like his whole lifespan, I've watched it. And the 10 years is the same 10 years I was dealing with all this crap. So, and during this whole time, I've learned so much about, I guess, psychology and emotional eating and all of that stuff. And just now having the intelligence and watching it happen, it's insane. <laughs> no, no, it is. Cause children are sponges. Yeah. I always, because I work with kids, I tell parents all the time, like, we don't give kids as much credit as oh, we should. So smart. No, they are. So, um, no, and, and it's uh, amazing how much we pick up, but then also how much we don't realize we have picked up. Yeah. Like, as adults, unless you go back and do the inner work and reflect on things, like, oh, actually, like, you know. I thought of that happened to me when I was, like, six. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, what? <laughs> exactly. Um, so you did a great job of defining what emotional eating is. Um, can you kind of talk about 
what you have come across with some misconceptions about emotional eating, things that you've run into. So the very first thing that comes up for this is the fact that there's a lot of assumptions that emotional eating is bad. And emotional eating is not bad. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the fact that we emotionally eat because the experience of food and eating is inherently emotional. So there is really nothing wrong with the fact that we eat for pleasure. But there comes that more or less issue when we only use food to cope and feel our emotions. If we only eat when, like say you come home from work, so many times we come home from work, we're feeling stressed and the first thing we're craving and want is something like warm and, or a nice pint of ice cream, like something super sweet, something indulgent because we know it makes us feel good. So we eat it, but in the face of it, we're repressing the whole emotions that we felt throughout the course of the day. So those things never ever get addressed. So that's where it can kind of get messy because we never address the things that were actually wrong. And then they pile up and, you know, things can, (laughs) you know, things blow up very quickly because of it. So that's like one of the big misconceptions. And, um, yeah, with that too, people always say, or I've seen a lot of people say, you should never emotionally eat. And I think that's a load of hooey too, because (laughs) I think it's perfectly fine as long as there's you know, as long as you're aware of what you're doing, I think that's where a lot of things come into of unawareness that a lot of people don't have in their life because we automatically run so much on autopilot. So yeah, those are a few misconceptions. Yeah, I, I love that. So, you know, the whole emotional eating is bad. Um, and I love that you said in, eating is inherently emotional and when you said that it made me think of and I mean I know this is more our our culture but like celebrations we always have food yes like Christmas Thanksgiving if we're not in quarantine graduation parties things like it's always food so that was the first thing that I thought of but also when you were just talking about like you know it's the awareness kind of of why you're doing it I am not a foodie but I know people that are like quote unquote foodies and like love to go to restaurants and try different things. And they really like savor the food, like from what, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like that's emotional eating in the sense of this is pleasurable. I love this new experience. So, and honestly, I had never thought of it because you think of, I guess from my mind, and maybe you can expand more on this. I think a lot of people equate emotional eating to like binge eating or that it's bad. Yeah, it's, and that's like another, I guess that's really true. Another misconception is when you emotionally eat, you're overeating. When in actuality, emotional eating can be restriction of food too, because some people get so stressed out that they lose their hunger cues. They actually don't want to eat and they end up not eating and they forget that they didn't eat um, because they're so in their emotions that (laughs) that whole thought process of eating food doesn't come to them because that's not so they find I guess their coping mechanism with food therefore would become the restriction of it because 
that gives them the control of being able to feel not feel you know not really <laughs> i don't know if that makes any sense no but, no it, it the the emotional eating is the restriction of eating yes. yeah so you can go one way or the other there is no emotional eating is overeating or emotional eating is under eating you could even have the experience of both um because i've even experienced both where some days like i'm so stressed out like food is the last thing on my mind and I don't eat. And then it's like the next day I'm on the other thing on the other side of it where I eat everything in sight and that's all I want to do. So, yeah. So, So the theme I'm kind of hearing and what you're saying is with emotional eating, it's not necessarily about the eating. It's about the emotion. Yes. And then what you do with that emotion. Yep. Okay. No, and I think that's really helpful because, I mean, obviously me being in psychology and I work with people with eating disorders, but I'll be the first to admit I have misconception. Like when I think emotional eating, my brain automatics response is like, oh, binge eating. Yeah. But it's not. And I mean, I can like kind of talk myself um, down from it. So um, I guess going off of that, because we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we're still in quarantine and you mentioned being stressed and everything. So how do you think like quarantine or the pandemic has impacted either people that were previously emotional eaters or used food to cope, or maybe possibly even people that weren't, but now are stuck at home? Yeah. So it's definitely had a massive impact. Um, we know that this has heightened literally every emotion possible that we could feel um, and has really kind of thrown our bodies into this flight or fight response. Um, and there's a lot of fear from like, you can just turn on the news for five seconds and you're going to hear something about the virus or you're going to hear something about somebody who got upset in public and caused some sort of fight where there might have been a shooting or there could have been you know there's been so many things it's been you know there's it seems like no matter what you do there's nothing good happening when you turn on the news and because of this it makes us turn back to those methods that we have where we know we can feel safe and it brings food back into the equation for a lot of people especially when you're stuck in your house there's food very available at all times. Even though when this first started, the shelves at the stores were all bare. And when you think about what was gone in the stores, they were all non-perishable items. And as I, if I, if I think about a tangent here, um, talking about diet culture, they're the first ones to say, don't eat those things because they're bad for you, quote unquote. But as soon as there's something like a pandemic and fear, those are the first things that we grab off the shelf because we know that they will help us be sustainable. They will help us feel full and satisfied, feel comfortable. They provide all the needs that we need in a time of fear and you know, where time where we're lacking that sense of safety. And I really just want to emphasize that like, this is totally okay. There's nothing wrong with the fact that we're turning to food because it works and it is a mechanism that does keep us safe. 
And if we don't have that understanding of how to feel safe and make ourselves feel comfortable in such a, a world of uncertainty as, um, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, distract yourself. But what if you don't know how? If you have food, it's there. And that's okay. <laughs> and it's really actually brave and intelligent for you to do because it's something that you know. And right now I feel like it's just something that we, like I don't think there should be as much pressure on the fact that we shouldn't be doing these things. Cause that's the other thing. I see a lot of posts on Instagram and Facebook about how people are losing weight right now. And it immediately makes you feel guilty if you're not doing that. And it makes you wonder like, what's wrong with me? Why are they, how are they losing weight right now? And I'm so overwhelmed that I just want to eat. And it makes you feel guilty and it makes the cycle so much worse. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess in the process of that too, it just brings up a lot of issues with the way people view their bodies. So I think there's a lot more heightened dis comfort and distaste of the way that you know we feel about our bodies the way we're looking at our bodies just because too we're so much more sedentary there's no one going to the gym a lot of people if they don't like to work out at home they're not going to work out at home um and some people are even so scared to go outside that they're not even going for a walk or going for a run um so it's definitely had a huge impact for people and for the people that are, you know, if they weren't experiencing these things before and all of a sudden they're home and they can't figure out why it's normal <laughs> and it's natural. Um, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. So. No, you, <laughs> no, you brought up so many good things. So like I've totally seen this post on both sides too. I've seen the post on like losing weight, but also like bashing if you're gaining weight, like, or people making jokes about like having to put jeans on again after quarantine and um, things like that. But you kept bringing up diet culture and you touched on a lot of things. Um, and I guess, I guess this is a question, but it's going to be a very broad question. So you can go <laughs> anywhere you want with it. But like, how do you think diet culture either one affects people who do experience emotional eating in the sense that they're using it as a coping skill and maybe not in the best manner or two diet culture has influenced what people perceive emotional eating is um so i had a thought i lost it it's okay i just kind of like sprung a really broad question on you so I think that with diet culture and emotional eating, there's a lot of guilt put on people when they do experience and use food emotionally. And for whatever reason, I think there, I guess it ties into that misconception of what um, emotional eating is for people and whether it's good or bad and the fact that people in you know very in diet culture don't see 
a purpose of eating for pleasure, I guess. Because when I think back to my time really headfirst in diet culture, I, I would always say like, I hate food. I hate food. I hate food. And I wanted nothing to do with it. I was terrified of it. And even seeing people enjoying food at graduation parties, like I graduated high school and I was going to all these parties and everybody was having a blast and trying all these different foods. And I just sat there. I didn't enjoy it at all. So and there was, so there was no like pleasure or enjoyment in that sort of sense of things. And it kind of like is the same exact thing now. Like if you're here and you're in your house and you have food and it feels good or you enjoy cooking or you enjoy baking and that's a good, ex that in and of itself is a good processing tool for you, whether you know it as that or not. Um, there's so many images on, you know, on different um, social media platforms that just make you feel like you shouldn't be doing that. Like you should be doing something more productive with your time, um, like working or reading a book or um, going outside and exercising and stuff like that. So really with all of it, I think it just puts guilt on everybody and it makes everybody feel ashamed of how they're dealing with what's going on. And there's those expectations that people are setting when we've never even experienced this before. So I don't know where people are coming up with these expectations. And especially as a perfectionist, like that's like the biggest thing for a perfectionist is expectations and not meeting them. And the shame aspect that comes with not meeting those expectations that we set on ourselves. So now adding additional expectations from society on ourselves, woof. It's a pain and it's terrible and it's hard. Yeah, no, I mean, I have at least been trying, hopefully I've been doing it effectively, telling people that there's no right way to cope during this pandemic because this is literally something no living person has experienced before. Um, and then going back to what you were saying, like having to do something more productive, I've seen a post, and I don't know the exact quote on social media that was like, if you don't learn a new skill during quarantine, it wasn't because you had or lacked time. It's because you're lazy or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what if people like can't learn a new skill because they're so emotionally distraught or, mm -hmm. you know, why are we bashing people that are baking and, you know, enjoying different foods or things like that instead of, you know, learning French? I don't know. I just made that up. But um, I, I have noticed that there's been a lot of um, social media posts about like weight and diet and things like that in the pandemic. And like, to me, it just cognitively doesn't make no. any sense. And like you said, like, who came up with these like, quote unquote, rules about... <laughs> what we should be doing because we don't know exactly <laughs> like I don't it, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever and it's frustrating like it's so I guess maybe it's different for us because we just I don't know maybe a different sense of knowing but it's so infuriating to see those posts and just makes me want to fight these people to shut up like it's fine <laughs> just allow yourself to be what you want to be and like you said, for the people that 
are already perfectionists or maybe already had a baseline of using food as a coping skill and now they're stuck in their house and then they go online, like it enables that sense of guilt and that reinforces a maladaptive cycle. Like, like you said, so I guess that leads me into another question because we've already established that emotional eating inherently is not bad. So I guess first, can you kind of describe like when, if there is a when, does it become bad? And if somebody has found themselves kind of in that um, emotional cycle, like what are some tips to help them come out of it? So I would say that it, if you're emotionally eating, it comes to a point of being quote unquote bad when you kind of, you find yourself in the same exact cycle every single day when you come home from work and you're always using food. You're always constantly, immediately going to the fridge and finding that chocolate and eating a bag of chocolate. Or um, every single time you go out and you think, I should reward myself with food because I did this today. Um, so if you're using it as an, as a reward mechanism, or I guess a re, um, that would you would call it a reward mechanism, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, does that make sense? Um, so if you're using it as a means to reward yourself for what you're doing, and that's how you always reward yourself for what you're doing, it can become a problem because you automatically assume that in order to do something good, you will get food or you will only get that food if you do the thing. So it kind of distorts the relationship between the food and the action because you therefore, I guess you almost punish yourself if you don't accomplish the project because then you don't get the food and vice versa. So that can kind of get a little bit messy if that's how you always reward yourself. So I guess if you're always, um, and I guess another way to think about it too is if you're always eating food when you feel uncomfortable emotions rise up within you, if you immediately search for food to numb out the pain or numb the emotions that you don't want to experience, or deal with, that can get messy because eventually you are going to come to a point in your life where food is not going to do anything for you anymore. And it's going to cause an issue at work where you might get so frustrated with your boss that you throw hands with them or you scream in their face and you're going to end up losing your job because of the way that you reacted in an unprofessional manner. Um, it might, it might end up in a, with your spouse or just some significant other, if you're in an argument again and your emotions are heightened and you might spew out the same exact things and you might find yourself in a situation where you can't return from what you said because you never communicated what was going on within your head, within your mind, within your body, all the stuff. So it really comes to that point where you're you're eventually going to blow. You can only hold so much within you and you're going to break you're going to find that breaking point. It's kind of like <laughs> just thinking of this off the top of my head, but it's like when you consume alcohol. 
When you consume alcohol, you're eventually going to reach that point where you no longer feel tipsy anymore. You're going to feel full-blown drunk. And then if you keep going, you're going to puke. And if you keep going, you're going to be in a very potentially tough spot where you're going to have alcohol poisoning or something worse. There, everybody has that sort of top of the line. And once you reach it, you're just going to fall over the sides. So I guess for some tips um, to kind of prevent this is practicing taking yourself of autopilot. And when I say that, I mean, if you feel, say, I guess the best way to practice this is getting curious about your behaviors. So a lot of the times you can, you'll start to find patterns when you kind of take a look back at how you react during the course of the day. You'll see different patterns, especially at work, I think is the easiest way to see it because a lot of us have a lot of the of similar tasks that we do throughout the day. day. <laughs> so for instance, I do a lot of, the, I work in a lab during the day. Um, I do a lot of the same experiments from day in and day out. So I know what I'm doing. I know the different interactions I have. Conversations are going to be different. And I know for you, <laughs> you too, you know, you work with a lot of, you work with the same kids. You don't see the same person every single day, but you know your situations and so on and so forth. So it's one of those things where if you take the time to just kind of reflect on your day and see your different interactions, you can start seeing different puzzle pieces kind of falling together to see, okay, this is what happened. And every single time this happens, I feel that way. Okay, so when it happens again tomorrow, I'm going to, now that I have an awareness of it, I'm going to think about that and kind of see what happens or, you know, just getting curious about how you react and your behavior. And I want to stress that there's no need to take action right away because you're not going to know what to do right away and that's fine. So that's why I emphasize curiosity. Curiosity is going to get you farther than trying to take immediate action on something like this if you don't actually know what the heck's going on. Um, and with this, practicing unbiased and no judgment towards yourself for the way that you're acting. Because again, you're just realizing these things, you're learning these things. And you can't, it's the same way as a child, you can't get mad at a child for not being able to understand different colors the first time you give them a sheet of paper that has colors on it. Maybe they're colorblind and you don't know it. So you can't expect, you know, something like this to immediately click. It's not gonna work. So compassion and grace will go a very long way with yourself throughout the beginning of stages of just be able, being able to see your emotions and how you react. Um, and the only other thing I was thinking is bringing some sort of consistency into your day because when you have some consistency, I know a lot of people like to bring a consistent breakfast into their day because it gives them that one thing in the morning that they can look at. They know what they're going to have. And the less decisions we need to make during the day 
is less stress on our minds and it opens up that availability for us to tackle the rest of the day that's a lot more uncertain and less, I forget what they call it, um, decision fatigue. So it kind of, you know, it just less stress and less stress for anybody is great. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love all of that. Um, I love how you say like approach it with a curiosity and really emphasize like, you know, you don't have to take action now. I mean, I talk about like changing our thoughts and um, self-compassion a lot, but like I always emphasize like it takes time and practice and going back to something you said at the beginning, like if we learned these patterns in childhood, if we learned, you know, food is safe, food provides us comfort in childhood and we're now in our twenties, thirties, forties, however old we are, we shouldn't expect that, okay, now at 25, 30, whatever, I can just flip the tw- past 25 years in a day. Everything ever existed. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I love the grace and compassion and also consistency. I mean, I'm a huge fan of consistency. I literally ate, like, this, eat the same thing pretty much every day, but that's just because it's easier for me. <laughs> um, but but having consistency and exploring um, with a curiosity and openness, I think is great. Cause like you said, if we're not even aware of why we're doing it, there's no way we can even start to change our behavior. And I mean, I'm not saying everybody who, you know, uses food as coping wasn't taught like emotion expression, but a lot of that could be a possibility. Like if, um, people listening like grew up with parents that say used food to cope or didn't regulate emotions. Or like you said, when you kind of just said like the explosion, they suppressed all their emotions and then exploded. And that's their only kind of guide on how to deal with emotions. They might not even know what they're feeling. They know it's bad or uncomfortable, but they don't know it's guilt or shame or stress or fatigue. They don't know what it is. So I love that curiosity and everything. So, um, well, I appreciate so, so much all your insights. I mean, do you have any additional thoughts, things you want to say that we didn't, um, talk about that you think is important for people to know about emotional eating? Hmm. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know. I don't think so because Definitely, like, my biggest things are there's nothing wrong with emotional eating. Emotional eating is not bad. There's no such thing as bad. <laughs> um, and, um, like, the other thing, too, like, you can emotionally eat eating carrots. Like, there's no good food. There's no bad food. Um, and that's, like, another thing, too, where a lot of people always talk about good foods and bad foods. Those don't exist. Food I, I hate food. that. Yeah. So that's like the only other thing I can think of, but yeah. Okay. Awesome. So if, um, people want to connect with you, work with you, all that kind of stuff, where can they find you? So you can find me on Instagram at Meg Beauclair. Um, you're going to drop them down your, in your notes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I will spell her last name for you all. (laughs) Not, it looks different than how it sounds. Um, so yes, at Instagram is at Meg Beauclair. I'm Megan Beauclair on Facebook, 
and I have a free Facebook community um, called Emotional Eating for Female Perfectionists. And yes, definitely stay tuned there because I'll be announcing some programs very shortly. That's so exciting. Well, I am so glad that you joined me. This was a great conversation. I am sure so many people listening were like, oh my gosh, no, I do that or I can relate to that because I think it's a a thing that one, maybe we don't talk about as much as we should or people don't realize there's a name for um, things. And thank you for being my first guest. This is (laughs) so fancy. (laughs) So um, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for everybody who tuned in and joined us today. I will put all of Meg's information in my show notes. So make sure to go follow her, join her Facebook group. I am in there. Um, And yeah, do all the things. It was great. So thank you so much, Meg. Thank you for having me. Of course. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.